2: We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now.
3: On this episode of Newsworld, I want to walk you through HR1, which the Democrats misleadingly called, quote, for the people act. And I think it's important to recognize a pattern you're gonna see for the next two years, which is that they never will have an honest title because if you actually understood what they were doing, you'd automatically oppose it. Instead, they'll have a really nice language that sounds morally appropriate, that the liberal news media will repeat endlessly. And you know, I say to you, I have a for the people act. Are you for the people? That's what it comes from. But I strongly suggest you Google and read at some point George Orwell's extraordinary essay on politics and the English language, in which he argues that the more dishonest the language, the more dishonest the action it's hiding. And I think it's exactly right. I would have called this bill the corrupt politicians' dishonest election. Reinforcement bill or something like that, because this bill actually has its intellectual origin in Tammany Hall Machine, New York, in the Chicago Machine, in the machine that's grown up in California. The whole pattern of how do the politicians make sure that they win and the public loses is captured and put into one bill, which is called H.R. 1, 791 pages. When it came to vote in the House, no Republican voted for it. One Democrat had the courage to vote against it, Benny Thompson in Mississippi. And in an interview, he said, look, I was for the bill until I went back home, and I talked to my local registrars and my local people who hold elections, and they convinced me that this was a terrible, terrible bill. So I want to start from that standpoint. And as I go through it, I think you'll see for yourself why it's a terrible bill. And i think you'll want to call your two senators and demand that they help stop this bill from ever becoming law so let's begin with the very structure of this bill and it has a series of articles that are i think consistently different from public opinion the bill recommends statehood for the District of Columbia. It declares Congress's perspective, the District of Columbia residents deserve full congressional voting rights and self-government, which only statehood can provide. Now, that violates the whole constitutional reason we have a District of Columbia, which was established by the Founding Fathers after a series of riots in Philadelphia where the government temporarily was being held. They came to the conclusion That there was a great danger of having local people decide to pressure the government and you can imagine if you had two senators and a congressman from the district of columbia they would spend all day every day trying to get more money for dc so it's something which is not popular a majority of americans do not want the district of columbia to have statehood but it tells you a little bit how far out of touch with the public this bill is that this is one of the provisions now At a time when we've been worried about honest elections, we've been worried about making sure that Americans legally can vote, but that their vote's not canceled by somebody who's dead or somebody who's moved or by somebody who's cheating. This bill would require states to automatically register any eligible voter and not have prosecution for ineligible voters who are accidentally registered. So in other words, if you know that you really shouldn't be voting but you go and sign up anyway there'll be no consequence for you it says that the chief state election officers have to automatically register any eligible unregistered voter, while protecting them from any prosecution if in fact they're really not eligible it also limits dramatically the ability of the state to remove people from the official list of eligible voters for federal office based on interstate voter registration checks. There are two big applications to this. One is, what if people die? When I was in Congress at one point, we were trying to write a reform bill, and the Democrats would not allow us to put in there a requirement to purge the role, even if somebody was dead. And we ultimately got to the point where we said, okay, how about if they haven't voted in 99 years? They said, no, you still can't purge them. For some reason, Democrats have a passion for filling up the voter rolls with people who A, have died and B, have moved. This bill would actually make it a federal law for all 50 states. It requires states to allow voters to sign sworn affidavits instead of using a photo ID. Now this is one of the things where the American people, overwhelmingly, 85% of the American people want to see some kind of voter ID. And they think it's perfectly reasonable You know, ironically, the recall petition in California for Governor Newsom is going to be checked rigorously to make sure that the person signing the recall petition is the person who's registered. And if you make a mistake by not putting in your middle name or putting it in by initial rather than the whole name, they're going to throw those out. So it's harder to sign a petition to recall the governor than it is to vote for the governor. And the Democrats in HR1 would make that nationwide, that you could not ask for a photo ID. The bill also prohibits states from requiring applicants to provide more than the last four digits of their social security number. And it prohibits states from purging votes based on returned non-forwardable mail or a failure to vote. The whole process here is sort of guaranteeing the largest possible number of people who are not eligible being on the voter rolls on election day. It gives criminals the right to vote by declaring that citizens must not be denied because of a criminal conviction unless the citizen is serving a felony sentence. Somebody who got out but in fact is still a convicted felon would be allowed to vote. The only thing that would prevent it is if you were actually serving a felony sentence in a correctional facility. It ends the practice of prison gerrymandering by counting prisoners in their former places of residence. So instead of having everybody at San Quentin count at San Quentin, they would go back to wherever they claimed that their original residence was. It requires the provisional ballots from eligible voters who voted at incorrect polling places have to be counted. So you go in, you sign an affidavit, that you are the person you claim you are. It turns out you're in the wrong precinct. Nonetheless, they have to find a way to find the right precinct and to count your vote. It also lifts any restrictions on voting by mail. It requires prepaid postage on return envelopes for any voting material and requires states to have a program to track and confirm absentee ballots. Now, remember, this bill is designed to maximize the number of uncontrolled voters who don't have to show their ID, don't have to prove who they are. And this law would prohibit every state in the country from imposing restrictions on an individual's ability to vote by mail. It would require the prepayment of postage and return envelopes for any voting material, which includes any voter registration form, any application for an absentee ballot, and a blank absentee ballot transmitted by mail. It would require the state to carry out a program to track and confirm the receipt of absentee ballots and make this information available to the voter who cast the vote. We're not requiring you to show a photo ID. We're not requiring you to be in the precinct that you're supposed to be voting in. We're not requiring that any of the rolls be purged of dead people or of people who moved. We are now saying that they have to keep track for you, not for the public, of what's happening. They require early voting, 15 consecutive days of early voting, and it's very important to the Democrats that that includes Sundays. Legitimately at one level because in many black churches, they have voting day, and they will take everybody down to the polls. Interestingly, the state of Georgia has passed a reform which requires that the polls be open six days a week, but not seven, and it's going to be attacked, putting the Democrats at a disadvantage because they won't be able to organize who the black churches on the scale that they historically have. HR one would overrule that just as it would overrule all fifty states in a series of election reforms. It says that the state cannot refuse to accept or process a voter registration application for federal election because the individual's under eighteen at the time of an election for federal office. So I'm sixteen. I'm sending in an application. They can't use my age as a way of stopping me from voting. And they've lumped all this into one bill. It sets up taxpayer-funded campaigns. It repeals the restriction on using funds by the Internal Revenue Service to audit and bring transparency to political activity. It repeals the revenue procedure that eliminated direct requirement to report information regarding contributions to certain taxes and propositions. This is an effort to bring out into the open all of the money that's being spent in these various organizations. And of course, part of what it'll do is it will stop people from donating because they'll be afraid of the government. They'll be afraid that if the IRS knows that I've donated against President Biden, that I may well be punished. I may have my business, you know, suddenly discover that you have to get audited every single year. And we know under Obama that the Internal Revenue Service for three or four years, until it became a giant scandal, was very biased against conservative organizations.
1: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on
4: a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God,
3: When I first began reviewing this bill, one of the things that really leaped out at me and was a big surprise, frankly, because it's so unpopular with the American people. This bill establishes a six-to-one matching system on small-dollar donations, up to $200. So someone decides to run for Congress. They go out, they get a $200 donation from a person. They then get $1,200 from the federal government, as long as you reject high-dollar contributions. They also put in here, by the way, that you can set up a system where you're raising the money and part of the money is going to pay you a salary so you can afford to run full time. And it's fascinating if you look at some of the recent scandals where, for example, one Congresswoman paid almost $2 million to her husband's company to quote, help with the campaign. So this begins a process of the federal government donating money directly to candidates it does require that the candidate have to raise at least $50,000 in small donor contributions from at least 1,000 people. But if you do that, at that point, you start getting a six-to-one match of taxpayer money to help pay for your campaign. And I think what this means is that you go out to the average American and say, given everything else we're doing, do we really need to spend tax-paid money to pay for candidates? And I think the average American will tell you, that in fact is an absurdity. Now, the bill, being clever, pretends that taxpayers would not be funding this because there'd be a surcharge on settlements paid by corporate lawbreakers and wealthy tax cheats. But what does that mean? It still means that taxpayers are paying for it. And of course, we all know that once a program gets started, it keeps growing and growing and growing. So this is a very slippery slope to start having the government pay directly to candidates. There's a certain grand irony in that they prohibit super PACs from operating as arms of a campaign. That's already illegal. You can't have a coordinated effort between a super PAC and a campaign. Now, by contrast with what the Democrats are trying to do, the Republicans did introduce a Save the Democracy Act led by Representative Jim Banks. And Save the Democracy Act is almost the opposite of where Pelosi and the liberal Democrats are. It would prohibit automatic voter registration for federal elections. It would require voter citizenship verification to register to vote in federal elections. It would require full social security numbers to register to vote in federal elections. It would require a voter to provide proof of identity for absentee voting and in-person voting in federal elections, creating equal treatment for all ballots. As you can see, there's almost the exact opposite between where the Republicans are trying to make sure that we know who you are, we know that you're legally allowed to vote, We know that you are going to be counted accurately versus the way the Democrats have structured it. So we don't know who you are. You're not required to identify yourself. You're not required, in fact, to have any significant information about yourself. Now, it goes beyond that. The Republican alternative blocks the states from sending out unrequested absentee ballots. Remember, one of the things that made this last year such a total mess was you had states that were mailing every single person a ballot, whether they asked for it or not. I had people personally tell me about getting two or three or four ballots in the mail and they had not requested a single one. The Republican alternative would bar anyone other than the voter, an election official, or the post office from submitting a ballot to a polling location during federal elections. In other words, this blocks the kind of vote harvesting that I think is a real threat. When you look at the number of nursing homes that are managed by and services provided by members of the Service Employees International Union, the very hardcore left-wing group, totally Democrat. The caretaker who is taking care of 20 senior citizens goes down the hall with ballots and gives each of them a chance to vote. Well, first of all, you know, you just eliminated secret voting because you're going to have that person standing right there with the senior citizen. Second, you know that the senior citizen, as a general rule, is going to want to please somebody who's bringing them food every day, taking care of them, in many cases, giving them a bath. And third, a number of the people who are going to vote actually don't know what they're doing, because there will be people in long-term care facilities who are suffering cognitive problems, but who will have this nice, friendly union vote gatherer there. Well, that's blocked by the Republican bill, which bars anybody other than the voter, the election official, or the post office from submitting a ballot. It also prohibits the use of public ballot collection boxes in federal elections. These things have turned out to be, in California and elsewhere, a nightmare to police and a real incentive for the political machine. This is where the term stuffing the ballot box originally came from. The idea that everybody who was honest went out to vote, but then people showed up and voted 50 or 100 times and they were stuffing the ballot box. Well, that would be made illegal by this. Now, the Republican bill also requires that absentee ballots be received by the close of election day for federal elections. It also requires a voter to provide proof of ID for both absentee voting and in-person voting so that you create equal treatment for every ballot. It maintains the current protection for military and overseas voters, and it requires voters to produce a matching social security number printed on their ballot in federal elections. Now, all of these allow election officials to cross-check social security number on a ballot with the voter's registration and submit that data to Congress. Now, in a parallel thing that I've talked about, and written about, the California unemployment system is run so badly, the bureaucracy is so incompetent, that They've had probably $32 billion stolen in unemployment compensation. And in one case, as an example, they had 1,700 checks go to the same house. Now, my only point is that when you have that kind of a system out there, and it is dumb enough that it sends 1,700 checks to the same house, you have to wonder whether if you try to set up a system where you have no identity, you have no requirements, you don't have to be registered except on the same day, etc. Whether that's not going to have the same kind of multiple voting and effort to rig the game because this is about power. This is not just good government in the abstract. This is a question about whether or not the election is going to be protected from the kind of people who basically are criminals and who are basically willing to steal the seat. Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader, who I think will be the Speaker of the House after the next election, commented on HR1. This week, Democrats are pushing partisan legislation
5: that will change how we conduct elections and how we can speak. It's Nancy Pelosi's number one priority. In fact, the legislation is called HR1. Now here's what it would do. First, HR1 sends public dollars to fund political campaigns not to build roads or bridges but to add 600% to every small dollar donated by Americans. So let's say Mary from Michigan donates $200 to preferred candidate. Well now you have just chipped in another 1200 bucks. Second, HR1 would legalize voting for convicted felons all over the country, even if they were convicted of election fraud. Does that make sense to you? Not only is this dangerous, it's unconstitutional. Now third, HR 1 would weaken the security of our elections and make it harder to protect against voter fraud. Here's how. It would automatically register voters from DMV databases. Voting is a right, not a mandate. In most cases, this legislation would actually prevent officials from removing ineligible voters from the rolls and would make it much more difficult to verify the accuracy of voter information. So future voters might be underage, dead, or illegal immigrants, or maybe even registered one, two, or three times. Democrats just don't care. Democrats call H.R. 1 the For the People Act, but it really is a For the Politicians Act is not designed to protect your vote. It's designed to put a thumb on the scale of every election in
3: America and keep the swamp swampy. That's Kevin McCarthy's take on this bill. And I think he's basically right. And I really would encourage you to call your two senators and ask them to stop the bill, recognize how badly written it is, how much it will contribute to inaccurate and flawed elections, and how much it will contribute to people voting who may not be registered, may not be citizens, may in any way have identified themselves, or who may, by the way, vote five or six times. This is one more example of the nightmare of radicalism that the Democrats are trying to shove through. And I think they're doing it because they know that both with Bill Clinton and with Barack Obama, they only had a two-year window, and then they lost massively. They lost 54 seats in the House in 1994, and they lost 63 seats in the House in 2010. And I have a hunch that they cynically have decided that they're just going to sacrifice 15 or 20 marginal Democrats, ran through everything they can, and in effect turn a potential eight-year presidency into a two-year sprint to see how radical they can make America. And One of the purposes of HR1 is to see if they can get it through, change the rules, and be able to have a campaign in which they are able to win seats and they are able to avoid what has been now a disaster for them every time they went to the White House. This is a very important bill. Stopping it is very important, and I think it's a good example of what we're going to face over the next two years. This is the effort to change the rules of the game to enable the Democrats to survive, no matter how unpopular they are. It's really vitally important to stop this. And that's why I urge every American to call their senators and to remind their friends and neighbors and relatives all across the country to call their senators, because we need a popular uprising against HR1 to guarantee that the politicians haven't stolen the election process from the American people and that we can still have an honest and accurate election in which American citizens vote, but the dead do not vote, the illegal immigrants don't vote, people who are, for a variety of reasons, not eligible don't vote, and that the vote is accurately counted. This is really vital to the survival of a free society. And I really urge you to call your two senators and have your friends and neighbors and relatives call their senators and ask them to vote no on H.R. 1. You can read more about the details of HR1 and how to contact your senator on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Media. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garenzi Sloan. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penman. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts, and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com slash I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World.
2: Racing Network.